0: Have a seat. So last week we wrapped up talking about who Jesus was. And we came to the conclusion. We talked about the fact that uh, we had to uh, accept Jesus for either a lunatic or a liar or his Lord. And once you have established um, who Jesus is, and once you have established him as the Son of God, and the one, the God-man that God sent uh, to do something for us, if that's exactly what we're going to be talking about tonight, um, then we can move on to exactly what Jesus came to do, the work that he came to accomplish. And As I was talking to Landon this week about what we're going to talk about tonight, and I was talking to him today about I really wanted just to uh, speak a long time on the end and what we're going to barely hit on at the end of tonight. But you can't talk about all of the good things uh, that we're going to hit on at the end without talking about the gloomy stuff. So, in essence, the things that we're going to talk about tonight are kind of gloomy. They're kind of uh, sad But it was for a reason. And this is exactly why Jesus came. And um, so tonight we're going to look at atonement. And what is atonement? Atonement is the work of Christ that Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. Um, In a broad sense of the definition, one of the things that is widely taught is that Jesus died for your sins. But rarely taught is the aspect that Jesus lived a life that you could not live. And we're going to see that that's important. Because without that, we would not have salvation. So it's kind of cool. So let's look at the cause of atonement. Uh, What would cause God to send his son to die in our place, ultimately? And that drives us to the character of who God is. So... In, in that, we see Scripture point to two main things about God. and Number one is the love of God. We see the love of God as a cause of atonement. Uh, and ultimately, we find that. And You don't have to turn to John chapter 3, but we see that in John 3.16, where it says that for God so loved us that he sent his Son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. That's in His character. That's who He is. So, therefore, uh, we see that attribute as a cause of the atonement. Secondly, is the justice of God. Because God had to find a way, uh, find a way that the penalty due to us for our sin would be paid. There had to be a way for our sin to be paid for. He could not accept us into His fellowship. Uh, with himself unless the penalty had been paid. So we see uh, justice. So Romans chapter 3. If you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 3. Starting verse 23, it says, For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. But look down in verse 26. Right in the middle of uh, 25. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance and He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we see that both love and justice are cause for atonement. So uh, oftentimes a lot of people ask if there was any other way that God could have paid um, for the sins of humans than sending his son. Wasn't there another way? Couldn't there have been a different way than sending his son? And um, let's just first uh, agree on the fact that he didn't have to send anyone at all. Because one of the uh, scary reality is in Second Peter chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but we see that the angels in heaven sinned and immediately they were sent to hell. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them into chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. So, I think that should be an eye-opening thing to us. It should be a scary thing to us. God didn't have to send anyone in our place. God did not have to send his son to die in our place. He did not have to send his son to live in our place. But, John 3, 16 He loved us that he sent his son. Therefore, the atonement was not absolutely necessary, but because as a consequence of what God had decided to do to save us, the atonement was absolutely necessary. Uh, We see this as Jesus prays in the garden uh, before he is arrested. And he falls on his face and he says, if this cup can pass away from me, please let it be that way. But not my will, your will. So he's praying for God's will to be done. And Jesus understood it was the Father's plan of redemption that made it necessary for him to do what he came to do. So that's the cause of atonement. Let's look at the nature of atonement we're going to see two different aspects of the work that Christ came to do. Um, the first thing is active obedience. If Christ, this is kind of good stuff. I haven't heard this taught a lot in my lifetime. So this was very interesting to me as I studied this this week. But if Christ had only earned forgiveness of sins for us. Then we would not merit heaven. I want you to just think about that. Chew on that for a minute. If Christ had only come to die for our sins. Then we would not merit heaven. We would just be on the same playing field as Adam and Eve. Before they sinned. Does that make sense? They were here. They were without sin at that point. They were in fellowship with God. Yet the life of obedience is what would merit And eternity in heaven with God. So they hadn't earned that yet. So therefore if Jesus only came to die for our sin. We therefore would not merit heaven. So he had to live a life of total obedience to God. In order to uh, merit the righteousness that belongs to us who belong to Jesus. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. If you have a Bible open up to Philippians chapter 3. starting in verse 8. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And might share his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, like I said earlier. This is definitely not taught very much. And you may be hearing it for the first time tonight. But we have to understand it. It was necessary for Jesus to come and to live a life uh, completely and totally obedient uh, to God. And and even at his baptism in Matthew chapter 3, he says, Let it be so now, for this it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, some might argue that he had to live a life of obedience... So that he would be sinless as a sacrifice. Okay, You might argue that. It's a great argument. He had to live a life of sinlessness. So that at the end of his life he would be sinless and be the good sacrifice for us. Okay, I want you to think about this. Jesus had existed for all of eternity with the Father. And he had no need. He had no need to live a perfect life of obedience for his own sake that make sense? He shared a love and fellowship with the father for all eternity and was in his character eternally worthy of that sacrifice. So he didn't have to prove to God who he was. He didn't have to prove to God that he could do it. He had to prove that he could do it for our righteousness. He had to do it for our righteousness sake, not his own. Does that make sense? So Unless he had done it this way, we would have no record of obedience for ourselves. As Christ dies, as he lives the life, as he dies for our sins, if he does not live the life of perfect obedience to the Father, then we would have no righteousness uh, as for that sacrifice. Additionally, if Jesus only needed to die sinless for us, then he could have done that as an infant, you know. As Herod was killing babies at the time, why not just take him then? And then it would all have been easy, right? Because he would have been sinless. But that's not what we needed. We needed him to live a life of obedience to the Father. And so active obedience. Be very thankful for the active obedience, right? Secondly, passive obedience. In addition to obeying God's law perfectly on our behalf... Jesus also took on Himself the suffering necessary, the suffering necessary for the payment of sins. We see Jesus suffered His entire life. Um, I think you have a list of them in your notes. Uh, he endured suffering and the temptation in the wilderness, suffering and growing in maturity. We see that in Hebrews chapter five. He was in opposition. Constantly with the Jewish leaders, the very people who should have been on his side, were opposing him at all turns. He suffered the loss of friends. We see in Lazarus, everybody has that verse of the Bible memorized. Jesus wept, right? Um, John eleven thirty five. 35. So, he wept. And that wasn't just a, a weep. He wept because he mourned. He was suffering uh, the loss of a friend. Isaiah 53. If you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 53. Because the Bible will also describe Jesus as a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was a man of sorrows. And, and throughout his entire life, he was a man of sorrow. So we have the active obedience of Jesus' life. We have the passive obedience of his suffering that was necessary. And ultimately, we are headed towards the cross. As we talk about the suffering of Christ, we're headed to the cross. So let's look at the pain that Jesus must have endured on the cross. And let me just say this. Number one is the physical pain and death. I don't have to explain to you that crucifixion would be painful. I don't have to explain to you uh, all the, uh, the you know the crown of thorns and the nails in his hands and the feet and the, and the lashes that he took. I don't have to go into great detail. I don't have to show you any pictures from Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ to make you have that picture in your mind. I don't. You know that that must have been a terrible way to die. I mean Romans came up with the greatest ways to kill people and make them be in pain when they were dying. Okay, So for him to be crucified, it was painful. It was suffering. Let's go on to the next point. The pain of bearing sin. We feel this. We feel the pain of bearing sin. Uh, we feel the pain of uh, guilt. We feel the pain of loss of loved ones. We live in a sinful world and and we know what it's like to live with sin. Okay, And let me just say this. The closer that we get with God, the closer that we walk with God, uh, we definitely feel the effects of sin as well. Meaning the guilt. And uh, uh, it literally bothers us to be in sin. or, Or it should. So... You have to understand, here's Jesus, perfectly holy. He hated sin with his entire being. The thought of evil contradicted everything that was in his character. In obedience to the Father, Jesus took your sin and my sin and all the sins of those who would give their lives to him, and he took them. I want you to just try to imagine what it would feel like to take on the sins of just yourself, much less everyone else. Took our sins, placed them on himself. All that he hated most deeply in the world was poured upon him, right? Uh, I just, you know, I'm trying to find a, a funny story for, about this, but it really doesn't help. But I hate tarantulas. I hate spiders, right? If you want to see me scream like a girl, put a spider in my room, Right? And I could just imagine what it would be like. Have you ever watched Fear Factor? And you see people getting put in the little glass boxes and then they dump something that they hate on top of them, right? This would be me, spiders, right? The thing Jesus hated the most was sin. Yet the sin of all people from the beginning of time till now, those that would give their lives to him, was poured on top of him. And just imagine what that would be like to him. Isaiah 5312 says, Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. If you have a Bible, open up to Galatians 3. John 1 says that the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So we see here, Jesus became the curse for us. He became the curse for us. And it was God the Father who placed those sins upon Christ. How could that be? How could God the Father take your sins, my sins, and place them onto Jesus Uh, It actually happened before. In the same way that God imputed uh, sin to us from Adam and Eve, from the very first sin. It says throughout throughout all of time, sin was imputed into us. Okay, We are all born sinful. Uh, If you don't believe me, have a child. You will see a sinful nature come out of them very quickly, right? They are born sinful. They are not born innocent. They're innocent and then they take a breath and it's all over with, right? Y'all can laugh at that; it's okay. But, uh, but in the same way that God imputed sin into us uh, through Adam and Eve, He imputed our sin to Jesus, and and He saw uh, God thought of them as belonging to Jesus. So as He is pouring out our sin upon His Son, He sees those sins as belonging to Christ. Now, let me just clarify. God did not see Jesus as committing these sins. Okay? He does not see Jesus as committing these sins. He sees Jesus as having these sins. Uh, he knows that his son is perfect. Uh, he was holy. And he was without sin. So, therefore, God places those son, uh, those sins upon his son. And we can just imagine The suffering that Jesus endured because of that. Uh, The next suffering. The the suffering Christ suffered because of the, the pain of abandonment. Jesus faces this pain alone. If you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 14. Verse thirty-four. Jesus says, "My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch." So here he is in the garden, and he tells his disciples that he is sorrowful to the point of death. And of course, uh, very quickly after that, we will see that the disciples uh, would abandon him in the in the garden as he's being arrested. Uh, As well as uh, on the cross, as he's hanging on the cross, he cries out to God, why have you forsaken me? So in every form and fashion, the fact that he uh, felt uh, lonelier right there at the end of his life. I can't imagine living in fellowship with God the Father for your entire being. Then you step onto the earth. That had to be a little bit lonely. But then the longer he lived, and even at, towards the end, it, it could only get worse and worse. The pain of abandonment. Uh, the next pain um, is worse than the previous three. And that's the pain of bearing the wrath of God. Jesus felt the pain of what it must have felt like for the wrath of God to be poured out on him. For the sins of uh, the people that had been poured out on him. Since the beginning of the world, God had patiently been waiting. God had uh, patiently stored up all of these sins from the beginning of time. uh, Since Adam and Eve, from the beginning of the world. And this intense hatred towards sin, this intense vengeance against sin was poured out on his son. Again, in Romans chapter 3, this is the verse that we read just a second ago. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 23. It says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation for, by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time like we read earlier. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you open up to Isaiah chapter 53. And you can hang out in Isaiah chapter 53. Because we're going to read three different things out of there in the, in the next Minute or two. Isaiah 53. Because just as Isaiah had predicted, uh, we see all of this coming to be. Uh, in verse 12, 53 12, he says, He poured out his soul to death and he bore the sins of many. So in a prediction, Long before Jesus had ever stepped onto the earth, it was predicted by Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And uh, we even see, if you go before that in verse 11, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted, accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And when that was finished, when the wrath of God had been poured out upon Jesus... He cried out in a loud voice, John 19, 30, It is finished. And into my hands I commit uh, my spirit. You know, uh, the devil thought those three words were defeat. Or maybe he didn't, but we've always heard that, right? It is finished. And they thought, well, this is the end. This is the end of Jesus' life. Uh, This is where uh, I'm sure the... Priest at the time uh, that he dies, uh, they thought they had won. Victory was theirs. And little did they know that um, this was all in the master plan. This was all the Trinity. Trinity, God, the the Father, God, the Son, and the Spirit. This was all a part of the plan. This was their plan from the beginning. And some other uh, further understanding of the death, death of Christ as we see him die on the cross... Uh, First of all, the penalty was inflicted by God the Father. You may ask, who required Christ to pay the penalty for our sins? Uh, We also will see the answer there in Isaiah chapter 53. uh, In verse 10, as it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him or to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. So the penalty was inflicted by God. Um, And it wasn't eternal suffering, but complete payment. And this is one of the most difficult things that I studied this week. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. So if I um, don't make sense of it, you can ask Landon and he can make sense of it more to you. Um, but we see here that, okay, if we had to pay for our own sins, okay, uh, we would suffer for eternity, obviously. But Jesus did not suffer for eternity. So, how does Jesus take my sins that I would eternally punish for and not suffer for eternity? How does he suffer a short amount of time? He suffers the wrath of God and he doesn't suffer for eternity because... Obviously, if you compound uh, Corey's sin and Landon's sin and even Landon's sin, uh, Landon's sin and Chris, I mean, that's a lot of sin, right? And we haven't even got the rest of you. Obviously, that would be a lot. Uh, so what's the difference? What's the difference there between Jesus' suffering and how I would suffer? Well, first of all, we have to understand that Jesus is God and we're not. We're finite. hes He's not. Okay? He's God and we would never ever be able to pay for our sin and be right with God again because we would still be sinful. We would still sin again and uh, it was kind of interesting. I read this part uh, today that uh, they said even as we would start, if we were to be, uh, just start being punished for our sins, we would only sin Uh, in cursing God because we were in so much pain. Does that make sense? So it would just be an ongoing thing where we would just continue to sin and we would continue to be punished. So it was this whole compounding sin, this arrogance. And uh, it kind of makes you think about the rich man and Lazarus. Okay, we have the rich man who dies and goes to hell. We have Lazarus who dies and goes to heaven. And we see the rich man having this conversation with Lazarus. Like, he's proud, he's arrogant, Why don't you do these things for me? Have somebody dip their toe in water and put it in my mouth because I'm in agony down here. Go tell my brother so they'll believe. Like he is in any place to be demanding anything from anybody, right? And yet he's still talking down to Lazarus. He's still talking down to him. And that's the exact same way we are. We would be sinful. We could never pay for it, ultimately. Uh, Even if... uh, We started to try to pay for it. It would never work out. Jesus was able to bear all the wrath of God against our sin and bear it to the end. No mere man could do this. Only the God-man himself was able to take that task on and succeed. Romans 8, chapter 1. Look at Romans 8, 1. It says, therefore, there is therefore no, now no condemnation for these who are in Christ Jesus. There was nothing in the eternal character of God and nothing in the laws God had given for mankind that required that there be eternal suffering to pay for man's sin. In fact, there is eternal suffering. It simply shows that the penalty was never paid, fully paid. And the evildoer, like I said, would just continually sin by nature. Jesus paid the full measure of God's wrath against sin. And there was no penalty left to pay. Amen for that. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's look at this verse. This is good. Hebrews chapter 9. Starting in verse twenty-five, It says, "Nor was it to offer him repeat himself to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice himself." And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And that's where we're at. We are eagerly waiting for Christ. Hopefully, if you... Um, have given your life to Jesus, and you are living in this uh, world that we are stuck in. This is not our home, and I hope you understand that. But I pray that we are eagerly waiting for him. You know, I stared at those four words this afternoon for a very long time. Do I eagerly anticipate God coming back? Do I eagerly anticipate Jesus coming back? You know, a lot of the times, you know, you see the flu going around, and you're like, man, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. And you see sin in the world, and I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. And You, you know what? I'm, glad, I would be, I'm really going to be happy when Jesus returns, or when I enter into eternity. That's going to be a great day. But, as we're going to see here in a second, I hope that we're just not flippantly going through this life, uh, doing nothing about what we know. Because God does expect us to share the story of salvation with others. He does expect us as we understand what God has done. As we understand what Jesus has done. That's not to be kept to ourselves. It's to be shared with other people. And as we, re- as we sang tonight, we talked about a lot about the blood of the lamb. Uh, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Let's talk about the blood of Christ. The New Testament frequently connects the blood of Christ with our redemption. Uh, Talks about how we are a ransom. Okay, God ransomed us from the futile ways inherited from um, our past. The blood does some things for us. Uh, Let's look at the first thing. It it gives us a a cleaned conscience, a cleansed conscience. Hebrews chapter 9. Open up to Hebrews chapter 9. When we enter into salvation with Jesus, verse 14. says, it purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I hope and pray that that is true for us. As we know Jesus, as we walk with Jesus... I pray that he is purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Because that's what the blood does for us. If you've truly been washed by the blood, as we saying about, it gives us a purified conscience. Secondly, it gives us a, a bold access to worship and to prayer. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, you don't have to turn there, but... Um, it tells that we should have confidence going into the holy of holies okay you know when jesus died and he said it is finished and there was a great earthquake and we see that the curtain that uh, separated the holy of holies from everyone else right it says the curtain was torn from top to bottom okay whatever all this stuff that what that is but we now have full access to god to worship to prayer Whereas before the high priest would have to make an atoning sacrifice for us. Now we have the opportunity to go one-on-one with God. To go to him in prayer. To go to him in worship. That was a new thing. For us, it's not a new thing. Hopefully. Hopefully we practice this often. Hopefully we practice this daily. To go into his presence. Salvation should give us the courage to access God. Every day, uh, thirdly, progressively cleansed from remaining sin first John one seven says it cleanses us from all sin, not just the sins that you have committed but the sins that you will commit tomorrow I don't know about you but I'm probably going to sin tomorrow more than likely uh, in the first a m hours before I leave the house right uh, we sin it says that the blood Covers all of those sins as well. Uh, number four, this is one of my favorite. If you have a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 12. It says, The blood is able to conquer the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. Starting in verse 10. Said, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the, by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. So we are able to conquer the accuser of the brethren. We have a lot to um, brag about, about what our God did for us. The word of our testimony is power. We can conquer uh, the schemes of Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. So lastly, rescued out of a sinful way of life. You can look up that verse. Um, I hope and pray that um, obviously sin is a part of... Of our life, but I hope and pray that it's not as much a part of our lives as it once was. We should struggle with sin. We should it should bother us to the point of repentance. And I pray that um, we think about that. The blood of Christ helps us to be rescued from a sinful way of life. And I hope we walk in that. So that is what the atonement is. Why. Is the atonement important to us? What do we need to know about the atonement? Um, And some of the things we looked at here that we're about to look at is... uh, First thing, we're going to look at four needs that we have as sinners. Obviously, if um, you do not know Jesus, we have needs. We have needs of, of sinners. And I would be willing to bet that you know someone who does not know Jesus. These are four needs that they have. And uh, I hope that we would walk in the freedom that Christ has has given to us. But let's look at these four needs that, that all sinners have. First of all, we deserve to die as a penalty for our sin. We deserve to die, like we said earlier. God does not owe us anything. God did not have to send His Son. He could have treated us the exact same way He treated the angels when they sinned. He should Right, But he didn't. He decided uh, a different way. But we deserve death. We deserve death. Secondly, we deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. The exact wrath that was poured out on Jesus is what we deserved. We deserve the wrath for our sin. And we deserve God's wrath uh, for the sins that we committed. Thirdly, we deserve to be separated from God for our sins. We deserve separation. Ultimately, that's, our sin does separate us from God. And it, it drives a, a barrier in between us and God. God cannot um, fellowship with anyone who has sin in their life. And fourthly, we are in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. You know, this is the, the most difficult one for people to grasp. That uh, they're in bondage to sin in the kingdom of Satan. So these four needs that we have. If you have sin in your life, these are four needs that you have. And we're going to talk about four, the four needs that are met by Christ's blood, by Christ's coming. Living a life of perfect obedience to God. And dying the death that we all deserve. Let's look at the four things that that does for us. Christ meeting the four needs that we have. First of all, he meet we deserve to die as a penalty of sin. So what does Jesus do? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. It says to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. To pay the penalty of death that we deserve because of our sin, Christ died as a sacrifice for us. So sacrifice. We deserve to die. Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice. If you have a Bible open up to 1 John chapter 4 if you have a kid down in Awanas uh, then they probably know this verse my son can quote it just like that and the reason why my son can quote it the reason why I can quote it is because my son can quote it right and I've heard my wife ask him this a million times 1 John 4 10 and and this is love not that we love God but that He loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, my son cannot say propitiation about as well as I can, right? But he can say God loved us and sent his son. And that's exactly what God did. We deserved his wrath, but he sent his son to stand in the gap for us. And thirdly, because we are separated by our sins, um, he offers us reconciliation to overcome the separation from God we needed someone to provide reconciliation and therefore bring us back into fellowship with God uh, check out 2 Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 18 it says all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is. In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Don't miss the last sentence. Yes. God did all of these things to you. But he is entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Uh, The message, the gospel message continues to be spread because God uses you and me and others to tell the world about the reconciliation. And lastly, the redemption that we have in Christ. We are all in bondage, so so therefore we needed to be redeemed. Because of the bondage that we have, because the bondage to sin, because of the bondage to Satan, we needed someone to step in and take and redeem us from that bondage. Um, Mark 10:45. Jesus said himself, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, to whom was that ransom paid? I want you to think about that for a second. Who was the ransom paid to? You know, when we think about ransom and we think, uh, you know, if I'm driving down uh, university here and I decide to go 85 one morning because I'm late for work or whatever. um, And I get pulled over and I get a ticket. If you're going 85, you're going to go to jail. But I get a ticket. They're feeling lenient that day. And I go before the judge and he says, okay, you owe this penalty and you're going to do some community service. I owe something to the county, right? I owe them my time. I owe them my dollars. Maybe I get put on probation. Don't do it again. Slap on the wrist, right? So our sin is poured out upon Jesus. So who, to whom is the ransom paid? Though we are in bondage to sin and though we are in bondage to Satan, there was no ransom paid to sin or to Satan. Okay, For they did not have the power to demand such payment. Nor was Satan the one whose holiness was offended by sin and required it to be paid. Um, so it is good for us to know the sorrow That Christ faced on our behalf. The penalty for sin was paid by Christ and received by God the Father. And so that penalty was paid to God the Father. It wasn't paid to Satan. He had no power to demand that. So now that's over with the gloomy, doomy part, right? So let's get to the good part. Let's talk about Christ's resurrection and his ascension and his session. And like I said, this is going to be very short. uh, And I wish I had, you know, you could spend literally um, another two months on this part alone. But for tonight's sake, when we talk about what Jesus has done and the work that Jesus has done, we talked about him coming and living the life that we could not live and dying the death that we could not die. Now let's talk about his resurrection and his ascension. Um, First of all, Christ's resurrection foreshadows our own resurrection. Ephesians chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Starting. Let's start in verse 4. I think I have verse 5 up there. But let's start in verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, even as Jesus is resurrected from the dead, it says that we one day will be resurrected and we will be seated with him in the heavenly places. I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting. Uh, look at number two. His going up to heaven foreshadows our future ascension into heaven with him? First uh, Thessalonians 4.17 talks about uh, us being caught up in the clouds. And those who remain will be caught up in the air with them. And so, uh, well it says first the dead in Christ will rise first and those that remain will be caught up in the air with him. Uh, this foreshadows how we're in, in the same way that as Jesus ascended into the heaven and the disciples are standing around and they're looking up into heaven and there he disappears into the clouds. Okay? We're we're going to experience that someday. If you've ever wanted to fly, uh, get to know Jesus and you'll get your wish will come true. All right? So um, it foreshadows how we will ascend to heaven and we'll be caught up there with him. So... Uh, Number three, Jesus' ascension gives us assurance that our final home will be in heaven with him. John chapter 14, 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. I wouldn't have told you this if it wasn't so. And I'm coming back. So Jesus tells us, I'm going to build your room and I'm going to be back. So until that happens, we keep on telling people about Jesus. So Jesus just has to keep on building more rooms. All right. It's good stuff. Lastly, due to our union with Christ, we are able to share in part in Christ's authority over the universe. And we will later uh, share more in it fully. Uh, open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We get to share In Jesus' authority over the universe. If you really wanted to blow your mind, think about that for a little bit. Because of what Jesus has done for us, he is making it possible for us to be able to share in his authority over the universe. Verses 26 and 27. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earth and pots are broken in pieces, even I, as I myself have received authority from my Father. So, we get to a share in the authority of Christ at the end of time. So, as we look at, first of all, you know, two, last week when we talked about who Jesus was. And this week, as we look at what Jesus has done for us, the work that he has um, done for us, I hope and I pray that it seriously drives us into his service. First of all, it should drive us to our knees in thankfulness that he should look on us sinners and love us uh, To love us enough to send his son to walk in our place, to die in our place, so that we could enjoy fellowship with him for all eternity. You know, the fact that none of us deserve it. None of us, um, we don't deserve it. We deserve death. We deserve separation. But we look at how God offers us salvation through his son. And so the last thing, here's how I'm going to end. We're going to read one verse and then Landon's going to come up and he's going to share with you some books that you can read about this. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Because Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize. um, Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is. uh, That should be what we live for every day. As we think about who Jesus is in our life, as we think about our future um, resurrection, our future ascension and eternity with God the Father and what Jesus has done, it should cause us to press on, straining forward to what lies ahead for the goal, the prize, and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that's what Jesus has done for us. So let's pray and we'll be done. God, we thank you so much for sending your son. We didn't deserve it. We had absolutely nothing that we've ever done in our lives that merited anything except for separation from you and your wrath and your judgment. But you loved us enough that you sent your son. And Father, I pray that if we have truly experienced that freedom and that salvation and that redemption, that we would walk. In a manner that is worthy to the calling that you've placed in our life. Jesus, I pray that we walk with people who don't know you daily. I pray that we would shine bright to them. That you would use us to share the gospel with others. So that we can do the work that you've called us here to do. Until you call us home. Help us to uh, stay walk with you daily. To stay uh, grounded in you daily. And Father, use us to further your kingdom. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.